Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast. Celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I am Rowan Ellis. And I continue to be Jazza John. Just relentlessly. <laughs> Each episode of the podcast, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is... Queer Oscars 2024. 2024. I've forgotten to write this bit of the script, so let's just wing it. We've chosen from the many queer artists who have been nominated at the Oscars and every queer-themed film that has been nominated at the Oscars, we have chosen the Netflix-backed, Obama-funded, Dustin Lance Black written, Rustin, which tells the story of Bayard Rustin, who was a American civil rights organiser and... Um, all-round lovely guy. Mm-hmm. It's a biopic or a biopic, depending on how you pronounce it. I feel deeply uncomfortable by biopic as a... It feels like myopic. It feels weird. So I always say biopic, but it might be wrong. It feels like an eye thing. Mm, optic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biopic. biopic. Bionic eye. Mm-hmm. We do an Oscars episode every year, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's a lot to choose from. Sometimes there's not so much. I would say there was a few things to choose from this year, but there wasn't really a sort of iconic standout that everyone was talking about as like a cultural touchstone moment, which yeah. is really interesting. Like everything everywhere all at once was kind of like, ah, uh, Exactly. Yeah. And then we did the favorite as well. Yeah. Although I do think it is interesting because I originally talked about this movie back in like 2021. It was on my list of like movies I'm looking forward to in 2022. Mm-hmm. And then it just simply didn't happen in that time frame. So I'm very glad that we've actually been able to watch it finally I feel like it's been a long time coming both in terms of this movie in particular but also in terms of inclusion of this historical figure within the media surrounding the civil rights movement in the US at all because he's often sort of left out of a lot of the coverage both documentary and biopic that we've had previously yeah but Rome before we introduce a pastor to the appeal of homosexual attraction what is the gayest thing that you've done since the last episode. I've become obsessed with a new TV show where everyone's gay, which is <laughs> very classic Rowan Ellis energy. Amazing. It, yeah, which is yeah. Has Been Hotel. But then also the YouTube series that pre, sort of like predates it, which is like an indie series by the same creator called Hell of a Boss. Um, it's just about a load of gay demons. And I'm like, sold, done. So I've oh. I've watched it multiple times. I've been listening to the soundtrack and nothing else. I've read... Simply so much fan fiction. So <laughs> fully obsessed. Amazing. Should I be watching that rather than trying to struggle my way through the last Airbender live action? 100%. We'll talk about this off the air, Jess. I'll give you the full breakdown of why you should watch this show. But yes, um, I'm very excited when I turn this question around to you and now ask Jazza, what is the gayest thing that you've done since the last episode? For it to be, I'm assuming something to do with you live in New York and or you kissed someone or didn't kiss someone or went on a date well watch me Mm. subvert the expectations that i have built up over many an episode i had the privilege of going to mumbai pride so (gasps) it's not pride month it's like february well it's lgbtq plus history month in the uk so Mm -hmm. happy lgbtq plus history month but i i was in mumbai for work i was conducting some research for my job and It turned out that I was also, I also happened to be there during Mumbai Pride. And it was one of the 
best experiences I think that I've ever had going to a Pride celebration. Oh, I love that. It was the first like official Mumbai Pride that they'd had since I think 2020, just before kind of like COVID lockdowns happened. And in 2020, there was some disruption. Police be bad, mm-hmm. essentially, is what happened there. And this was their first time kind of like officially doing something where they cooperated with the police to make sure that there was protection and stuff. And it was just kind of like a lovely afternoon march. I got the privilege of meeting so many wonderful people who were activists, people who just happened to be there, people who traveled from other cities in India in order to be there. It was really amazing. And I know that we often kind of like talk about the corporate nature of a lot of pride parades, especially in the West at the moment. And it was really wonderful to see a genuine grassroots march peaceful protest that I'm sure actually um, Bayard Rustin would have been quite proud of. But yeah, it was gorgeous and really cool. And also I went to a drag show afterwards and saw some of the best voguing I've ever seen in my life. Yes, in Mumbai. And yes, I do live in New York where voguing comes from. Mm-hmm. Love that. I, I was going to say also maybe drag. So you did include at least one of your customary elements. Correct. My customary elements. Not drag being a customary element. We will be spending a hot minute before we dive into this movie looking at some of the other queer nominations at the Oscars this year. Roman's also going to introduce us to Bayard Rustin, whose life this film is based on. We will then be, as always, splitting the film into three acts for your convenient consumption, and one of them, I'm sure, will be the party in its aftermath, as always, before giving the movie a score using our patented rainbow flag system. We are going to be spoiling all of this movie. I mean, it is based on, like, a real person's life, so it's not like it's spoiling a secret. Spoiling history. Sure, spoiling history that happened. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if you do not care about history being spoiled, then feel free to listen on. But we do recommend watching the, this movie beforehand, because it's cool. And good. A rave review from Jazza there, (laughs) which I'm sure that they'll expand on momentarily. But without further ado, let's humbly pick up the trash after the party and review Rustin. So I think it was really interesting in the introduction where you said that there didn't feel like there was like a big LGBT nominee this year. Mm. And I remember looking through the nominations and thinking oh no, I need to go back and watch some stuff. Mm. Rustin being one of them, actually, that just I had ended up missing. And I wonder, do you think that that says anything about kind of like the nominations this year? Like a lot of people have tried to crowbar in the Barbie movie as like an LGBT nomination because Billie Eilish has expressed that they're queer and wrote and is nominated for like best song in a movie. What is it called? Yeah, best, the best song in a movie. Yeah, I think it's interesting because this is, we have had a few years where they've they've kind of been iconic examples. And I do feel like this, like Rustin, for a movie that kind of has such a long lead in, I, it, I feel like I would not have known that it had been released if I wasn't so aware of this movie already. I feel like most people I know haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, there are a couple of queer movies this year that have become like big talking points and queer adjacent movies like Saltburn, obviously, that didn't then kind of come in and all of us strangers all of us strangers Mm -hmm. all of us strangers i'm furious yeah this is another like 
I don't even know if you can call it a snub because I feel like it wasn't necessarily one of those like, oh, this is someone who everyone was expecting from an Academy point of view to get it and they didn't. Like it feels like the way we talk about snubs is probably more what was going on with the Barbie movie. Sure. But it also does feel like from the people who have watched the movie, why wasn't there anything there? Mm -hmm. And I do think it is a shame in in some ways because we know from statistic, (laughs) from statistic, from the statistics that... (laughs) Oftentimes, Oscar nominations sometimes do map onto the budget and the money spent on the movie originally and also the reception of it in terms of box office sales, things like that. But also, conversely, the other way around, movies that are nominated see a boost in their box office afterwards, subsequently. And I think it would have been really amazing to see that with things like All of Us Strangers. I always feel like this around a lot of queer movies that are often quite like indie or smaller but also the oscars are not the be all and end all of anything we've talked many times on the podcast like especially in the early days of us covering the oscars about the limits of of it but i do think that there is something to be said about Mm -hmm. having queer stories be within this mainstream celebration and what that does say about the sort of state of queer cinema as it were and i think we oh my god did you hear that yeah what was that that's thunder oh my god i didn't even know it was raining (laughs) the ominous the gods have have said stop nominating queer movies to the oscars yeah (laughs) but yeah so i mean what do you think about it what do you think about the the films that have been nominated this year or things that have have not been or just i guess the state of like the queer cinema in general this year i don't think it is a bad thing that there are movies that occupy kind of like the mid to lower end of penetrating the consciousness of like the general movie going public i think that the oscars does that very often and maybe we've just gotten like a little bit used to there being like a flagship Mm. oh cool like a queer thing because actually there's quite a lot of openly queer actors which is a relatively new thing that we've seen so the actor who's playing biodrustin in this movie coleman domingo is the first black gay man to portray a black gay man who has been nominated for an Oscar, which is amazing. And we had a similar thing with the actor from, oh, what was the really long movie? Colors of the Flower Moon. That I, oh. I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch that until it comes out on streaming services because I need a pee break. You're old, we get it, yeah. that's that long. Fair. Lily Gladstone is the first NB two-spirit actor to portray like a two-spirit person as well. So those are like really amazing things that we haven't really seen before. But I just, people that I know, and I know plenty of people who are really into movies, just haven't seen the majority of what um is in the nomination list this year. And I have a feeling that that says something about the way that films are distributed at the moment. And I think about All of Us Strangers as like an example. It felt like, like I'm not behind the scenes, but it felt like that was really struggling at least stateside to find people who were willing to distribute it. And so it started with like, okay, you're going to see it in like five cinemas across the whole country. And then it slowly kind of like increased, but just wasn't widely available for the majority of moviegoers um and then you have like the effects of streaming stuff like rustin um uh, uh being kind of like netflix and streaming first movies that have to have some kind of like theatrical release but it's always limited mm-hmm. and i i don't know if i worry but i wonder what the impact of oscar nominations and therefore oscar wins is if no one's actually ended up 
seeing them? Mm. Is it going to affect the success of the movie, the success of the actors and the filmmakers? I don't know, but I I have a feeling that this is, with the state of the industry at the moment, going to be like relatively common for us to see similar kind of vibes around like the non season too. And those are our thoughts on the Oscars. Amazing. <laughs> Can you give us, therefore, a little bit of background on um, the subject of this movie by Ed Rustin? Yeah, so actually the movie is reasonably close to what was happening historically, but with the classic biopic thing of like a lot of these conversations will not actually be accurate because they're all private conversations happen behind doors. We can't verify the accuracy of these random, you know, conversations in a bar or anything like that. There's also the topic of his sexuality, which they essentially create these two characters, Tom and Elias, in order to basically not, not implicate not people out from anyone. the past. Yeah, yeah, not to not out anyone. Because there were a number of people within the movement who were potentially theorized, rumored, like all of, which it does also kind of cover in this movie to be people that Rustin had been involved with romantically or sexually in one way or another. So it was it's it wasn't essentially like a, oh we're going to add this historically inaccurate thing to make this more exciting or to to change the legacy of this person in some way. Um, it was more to be able to include his queerness as an element of his character without. Uh, yeah, outing anyone, um, <laughs> which I guess is a good thing. And the story that this tells is essentially that he was the the organizer, one of the driving forces behind the, the march in Washington in 1963, and that he was a huge part of the civil rights movement in the US, and in particular, his influence over leaders in that movement, including Dr. Martin Luther King. And like that was this kind of piece of legacy that he had, but that also his sexuality, being someone who was sort of considered to be as out as you could be in the 1950s and 60s. Sure, yeah. That he was subsequently forgotten and even at the time forgotten or cut out of the movement when it was convenient. And so this movie essentially is shining a light on that, but also looking at a lot of other aspects of activism and advocacy alongside of that, which I think is really interesting because I've done classic Ronellis move, a video essay on uh, activism- I know, right? Wild on screen, in which I think I mentioned that this movie is happening. And that was, who knows how long ago I was doing that video essay, but it's, yeah, as I said, a long time coming. But it essentially in that essay, I talk about the fact that oftentimes activists within movies, their role is to be the extreme person that we can point at and kind of be like, they are going too far, like, mm. especially when it comes to queer activism that it's like, it's okay to be quietly gay, but when you start demanding things and being too loud and too, oftentimes with male characters, like too feminine, too in your face, or for women, it's too sort of like man-hating, stereotypical, that that is justification against capitulating to activists' demands in a way. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we'll, we'll cover around this movie, around like respectability politics and the ways in which optics play a role in activism. And there's some really interesting questions, I think, in this movie about the idea of the individual activist, the person putting in the work, and then the optics to the powerful majority. So mm -hmm. do you sacrifice the dignity, the potential power of an individual, such as Rustin, in order to make a movement more palatable 
to the people who might ultimately be able, who have power in this world, mm-hmm. who might be able to make changes. In this case, the sort of like white political yeah, elite. Yeah, and the whole thing of the approach of the NAACP and kind of like those uh, black members of Congress who had, who were already kind of like in positions of power being juxtaposed with like the activist foundations that Rustin represents, which I think is really interesting to have him be portrayed as such because he was kind of like lifted up as a bit of a neocon towards the end of his life as somebody who didn't necessarily believe in affirmative action, somebody who lifted up class struggle um, uh, more than race struggle in the like latter part of his life. And so one could argue that he ended up moving into like the the more palatable like acceptable part of the way that we talk about kind of like civil rights issues. But I love the fact that this is the kind of like part of his life that has been Mm. captured because he was by nature of like who he was and how he moved through the world, but also like how he was demanding what he was demanding. He was still a radical, but the fact that he was a radical in throughout like his like especially early activism from the 40s all the way through to the 60s really shows kind of like how the the state of like civil rights in the United States at the time. And yeah, I love that this is the thing that they focused on for him. Mm -hmm. Shall we dig into the movie itself? Oh, I'd love that. Let's go. Ooh, exciting. So, okay, I will say normally we split movies into the three acts. I really struggled with this movie with the acts because... It's a movie that doesn't really have a traditional plot to it. Stuff is just happening. There's a, the plan (laughs) is we have a little bit of him before 1963 and then there's sort of a plan to do the march. And then it's a lot of very similar stuff happening, which is people being like, no, Rustin, this is, we don't like your ideas. And then he's like, but what if we did them anyway? And then he gets some people on side and some people not on side. And that just continues to happen for the movie. And so I found it a bit difficult, but I don't know whether Jazza, you were able to split this into into thirds. Yeah, well, everything kind of like rolls up into the March from Washington. And so everything, <laughs> you could just go everything before the March from Washington and then everything after, which is like the last, 15 minutes of movie. Yeah, so it's like pre-gaming and then the party and then very little aftermath. Yeah, um, but I have kind of <laughs> pre-gaming. I'm changing that to my second act name. <laughs> but I did split it into three acts. This first act I called Angelic Troublemakers because that's like a little Ooh, quote of his. Cute. Yeah, a little quote. Love a little quote. It's kind of like laying the foundation of kind of like Rustin and as an individual, what his role was and where he was in terms of kind of like the civil rights movement. Yeah. So we open up with Rustin trying to recruit Dr. King to back a protest at the Democratic National Convention in Los Angeles. We are shown how close Rustin and King are like uh, uh, Rustin asks after Dr. King's wife and the children and Dr. King says oh they miss the kids miss Uncle Bayard and all of those kind of things they're clearly close friends and Bayard seems to have kind of like convinced him to uh, um, to back this proposed uh, picketing of the Democratic National 
convention. And during this also, I, was, I will mention there is like a tiny bit that happens before this this section in 1960. Oh, that, the very which opening. Which is the very opening is text about 1954, beginning about the Supreme Court making segregation unconstitutional. But we obviously see images from not historical images, but recreations of historical events. So we see Ruby Bridges, we see the Little Dark Nine, like a bunch of people from actual history. And mm-hmm. I think that it's a very, very quick bit at the beginning, but it, I think, sets up a lot of the things we're going to be talking about, like the messiness of activism, the difference between like legal equalities and social attitudes, which is all part of this. There's a lot of stuff around this period of history where it's like technically we might have this unconstitutional sort of ruling by the Supreme Court, but ultimately the South is still extremely racist, that you still have people who are ignoring that Supreme Court ruling to c- continue the quote-unquote traditions of the South, you know, and the, and a real split, interestingly, between the Black Americans who live in different parts of the country, their different attitudes, and also just like the, ex- the reality of their existences is still completely split. So this idea that maybe going through the official channels and changing laws is not going to change the lived circumstances of people around the country when it comes to marginalized experiences which is also then i think what makes it so interesting that when we get to 1960 and all of the the stuff that you just mentioned jazza is that originally dr king is refusing the call like if Mm -hmm. if this is a movie about king this is the moment where in the monomyth where he gets his mission and he refuses the call at first and then he has to be persuaded by rustin who is the like old man character within that within that but we're following Rustin's story so it's so interesting to see King treated as this side character who's already sort of had his rise to fame he's in his like the high element of his like everyone is looking to see what King is doing and but he's not the main character of this piece and it felt so interesting and deliberate that we had this immediate introduction to Martin Luther King as a character and he's introduced as a guy who is taking counsel from our main character who's laughing about how good the grits are in this diner who is just a normal Mm -hmm. person there isn't this valorizing and almost like dehumanizing of him through valor and through this kind of sainthood that gets placed upon people who are important to movements like this and i thought that was like such an interesting choice Mm -hmm. also this is such a high energy part of this movie jazz music is in the backdrop of the entire film and the soundtrack i love is the way fantastic. that they use jazz in this movie especially when there's kind of like collaboration happening and spontaneousness happening and like the the nature of jazz of being kind of like that never static ever kind of like moving you never know what's going to come next um uh, it was used so well i thought the way that music was used in this movie was outstanding every now and again there was a little bit of little richard like it was so good so good agreed and then we get to exactly what we were talking about the idea of a bunch of different black leaders in various places so the naacp who are against rustin in a way because of his being unmentionable the black democratic democratic congressman who is you'd think would be aligned yes you you think would be aligned with this plan but it's almost like angry that it didn't come through him like it didn't the protest plan was never run by his office and so there's a lot of clear complexities and political machinations happening here which is such an interesting way of setting up a movie around an element of activism that i think nowadays we think of potentially when we look back as like ah yes it was good to not have segregation and to have like equal rights. Therefore, everyone must have just, you know, 
been in this kumbaya, we all agree with each other, let's march on Washington. And the enemy or like the per- the only people who are going to think differently will be racist white people. And it's like, oh, actually, even within the movements that when we look back on them, we consider them to be like right, righteous and, and just and obvious, still had these players in them who had different approaches, who were more scared or worried, who didn't want to provoke, who were trying to work within a racist system. Like all of Mm -hmm. these questions come up, which is, again, such a like energetic and interesting start to the movie. And also at this point, we get this idea of the unmentionable, of Rustin's homosexuality. He's gay. He's He's gay. gay. If anyone Mm -hmm. was in doubt as to why the podcast is covering this movie, he's a homo. The unmentionable is that he's uh, that he's a gay man, but then there's also like his history with mm-hmm. communist causes yep. and he's a radical, that he's a Quaker. Yep. Like he's he's outside of like the norm of even kind of like these radical people who are trying to change the current system around them. And there's so much about him that is controversial that very often like they only ever play the gay card when it's like a last resort. Yeah. And so this is the, like, we are shown them playing the gay card immediately and they threaten to release a rumour that King and Bayard, it's never said explicitly, but they're saying that King and Bayard are... Having an affair. Doing the hanky Yeah, there is a line that I genuinely was like, this is my favourite line in anything in a while, which is, if they don't call this off, the whole world will know about his queen. And I don't mean Coretta. I mean Coretta. I was like, I okay, like the absolute, like, spilling the tea energy of that. Like, this is very gay of you, sir. Mm-hmm. But yeah, essentially the idea of this is going to be released. And then I think we get our first interesting look at who he is as a character because he just starts laughing. When, it's a, mm-hmm. when someone basically is saying to him, like, they're going to release this, like, this is going to ruin you, ruin King. He's just sort of like, me and martin like are you crazy Mm -hmm. like he's a friend he's you know i don't call it trouble i call it opportunity he says he make essentially at this point bayard rustin's like i'm going to write a letter of resignation martin's obviously going to reject it obviously he's going to reject it obviously this little dance we're gonna do and then it's gonna be like see there's nothing going on here cut to the naacp headquarters everyone is in this boardroom it is a packed house and it becomes very clear that rustin was like oh i thought it was just gonna be me and martin we i love how as well how we keep flashing between king and martin like which just our just our buddy martin Mm -hmm. you know i thought it was just gonna be the two of us and it becomes very clear that whether or not he was already thinking this or whether he was persuaded by the people in that boardroom martin luther king is like we accept your resignation Mm -hmm. the friendship at this point is absolutely fucked like and it's so sad that we see we see them having these this moment of real kinship of friendship of like the ways in which Rustin was able to influence King's now very iconic uh, politic, his idea of like nonviolent protest, like all of yeah. these things, like that they the were amount really of times that minds. Gandhi gets brought up. Oh, I did really enjoy that, that we fun. had like a great a great little bit about like Gandhi walking into the sea mm-hmm. and then he tries to do the same spiel at the NAACP and, like, and then um, uh, Chris Rock, who is very jarring in this movie, Truly. is like, will somebody tell this man that this isn't India?
But yeah, so this is our sort of like fast, rapid fire introduction in 1960. We're then smash cut to 1963, where the music is now a thousand times slower. There's no energy. And he is working in the War Resisters League doing sort of other work for other causes. Although Mm -hmm. other causes are interesting because I do feel like there is something to be said for his understanding and many people's understanding of many of these being linked causes that we see later on being used to great effect in terms of raising a kind of support for the the marching Washington. But mm-hmm. it also is very clear that he has been cut out of the movement in many ways, whether that again is his own doing in terms of cutting himself off from from King or from other people out of yeah not out of like anger out of whatever it is but he's essentially like now not working officially within the movement yeah he's moving through this party and like um people don't know who he is he does like the whole do you not know who I am and they're like kind no of, like, old man yeah and he breaks <laughs> up kind of like a fight that starts to happen between a couple of activists and he's called irrelevant by mm. one of them like it's clear that he has had a fall from grace but one of the things that I really like about the way that Rustin is portrayed is how he like his non-violent kind of like base of where his belief system came from both as kind of like a Quaker and the teachings of Gandhi as well and when somebody threatens to kind of like beat him up because he breaks up this fight he says if you're non-violent then you have to be prepared to receive it and we see that as well when he first I don't know if it's his first arrest but one of his many arrests where he gets arrested for sitting in the incorrect part of the bus in the 1940 South and he says I'm not resisting I'm not resisting and then takes a beating from the authorities. Uh, I love the way that there's that kind of like non-violent drumbeat that kind of like honours that part of his kind of like philosophy. Yes, and in this scene as well, we're introduced to Tom, who is his partner. Bit on the side. Bit on the side, live-in boyfriend, question mark. It's kind of that idea of within this, the context of this historical period, putting a label on a relationship that is illegal to practice in many ways Mm -hmm. was not something we see it oftentimes I think especially with queer men in historical movies where there is this sense of like what do we call each other how do we do that and and actually interestingly within his own life had a very unusual but not unheard of relationship that is talked about at the end of the movie yeah which is a weird footnote but also i understand why they were it like doesn't make it we're into not gonna this, we're not they... gonna mention this this sort of un- unwraps a whole other can of worms I'll yeah, get, yeah. essentially he adopted his partner mm-hmm. as his child not as his child which is an which is another movie yeah that's another really. movie in and yeah. of itself but it wasn't he wasn't doing it to adopt his partner as a child it's because there was no other way for them to have legal recognition or protections within their relationship because there was no way that they could get married so they're like okay in order for us to go through a legal framework of connecting with each other in a way that protects us, if one of us gets sick, if we want to mm-hmm. be giving our worldly goods to each other, I guess I have to adopt you. So they went through it. The partner's like mum had to sign away her parental rights. Like it was a whole thing. And it was because there was no other way of doing it. So it's, just as I said, a whole other story in and of itself. But I do think that the way in which they look at queer relationships and the within this movie is very very couched in the idea of they are not sort of possible for for most people mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. something which is really it's going to affect every part of your life in in one way or another mm-hmm. even if you aren't someone who is going out and getting arrested and 
about to start marching at Stonewall in a few decades. Like it's even if you're someone who just lives a quiet life and doesn't sort of try and pursue community in any way that it still is going to affect you psychologically, Mm -hmm. especially when you are living with community in so many other parts of your life. But Tom is Tom is essentially a white activist who works with Rustin and was at one point his assistant and now is going to be again. Live in assistant, Winquin, nudge, nudged. And at this point, Rustin essentially comes up with this idea of this peaceful protest, the largest in US history, 100,000 people, a two-day demonstration, drawing a bunch of groups together. Mm-hmm. And here is where we start to see this grassroots activism in practice, where he essentially is doing a, Which I, who's guy thinking, yeah. no bad ideas, let's collaborate with all the jazz. Love it. He really embodied, all of the jazz um, really embodying kind of like, yes, and he tells off Tom at one point for, don't kill an impulse before it's born. Like, I, I love this kind of like, whiteboarding mm-hmm. before whiteboards exist. It's all spitball, it's brainstorm, everyone. I really, really loved this. And so they have all of these like young, useful activists round to do this initial brainstorm. And then they go to the NAACP in order to get their support. And like at the end, the NAACP sees themselves as kind of like legally leading the charge. And they're described as kind of like counting more on the courts to be able to overturn unjust policies and unjust practices and stuff like that but they're still kind of like a big name in the furthering of civil rights in the states and the NAACP because they know like they know like Rustin very much they reject the idea and the guy who's kind of like behind the desegregation of the armed forces that policy change is convinced by Rustin to kind of like support this big march on Washington and after this really bad meeting with the NAACP uh, he goes well you may have lost King's number but maybe you should try and find it again so that you can get King's backing, and it's implied that with King's backing, this march could be possible. But without either King or the NAACP, it's not possible. Those are our stakes, everyone. <laughs> stakes happening. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we also have a few like B plots that get introduced. So Elias, who is a oh sexy, sexy Elias. Oh, I knew that would be your take. Oh, um, I love him. <laughs> so in the meeting with the NAACP, he's the one who essentially is providing a bunch of stats, which seem to go essentially counter the idea that this march is a good idea because he kind of talks about here are some of the other very big protests that have happened on the, the Washington Mall. Um, they have all been smaller than this and also have been met with like violent resistance from the the armed forces or from uh, police and these were like white men who were who were being attacked so the kind of implication is what would they do to us and so this was you know maybe i would say a bit of a tension between these two during that meeting at first you know you're mm. giving evidence against why this march won't work but then classic gays they go to a urinal and they start, start talking with their willies out talking with their dicks out oh it's, i feel like i want to know this is one of those tropes in movies around gay men that i think is rivals the what if we just sort of beat each other up and then kissed and it's you, it's up there it's up there you mean you mean the 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 fact that is part of every <laughs> gay i'm waiting sure. for them to tussle at a urinal that's the na- yeah. next step <laughs> just a little wrestle underneath the latrine <laughs> and we also see like tom sort of saying like careful to yeah, and he goes, I asked you to be my assistant, not Mrs. Rossing. Ooh. Z- Ooh. And I'm like, at some point, you should probably have a talk about your um, 
sort of cons- consensual non-monogamy and how this actually is going to work, which they do later sure, on a little yeah. bit, but they... Or not really, well, they but... Kind of have <laughs> yeah. a, it's kind of like a, you should have had a talk before now, but we're going to, I guess we can have it at the end of the, the issue. Yeah. But they essentially go for a drink and they talk about, again, a lot of, about Dr. King's stance on non-violence coming from Rustin, um, Rustin being a Quaker, absolute... As soon as he said that, I was like, it's all coming together. The non-violence thing, the... Being a pacifist, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. an absolute boss, love a good, love a good Quaker, and it also, <laughs> not the bad ones the, though. No, you oh no, that, yeah. all the, all the, all the, the Quakers, ones. great. You can quote me on that. But they also, Rustin essentially like nods around them and is like, "We're safe here oh. at this." Time oh, hold, of uh, hold on, hold on. So this guy, we meet his wife already. We oh, know that yeah. He's like a pastor. He's on the route he's to married. take over this woman's this woman's his wife's dad's ministry but we know that she's out of town from saturday oh what a shame she's not going to be able to meet mr rustin as well so they go out to the gay bar they do all the chatting they have three manhattans and then oh my god he's a he's a new person completely different and we all look around oh my god it's a gay bar (gasps) and then rustin says to elias how can you preach salvation and not save yourself? How can you speak of love when your heart is co- disconnected from your flesh? And then, I mean, this is so he hot. He says it to all um, the boys. Oh my God, of course he fucking does. And then Elias goes, teach me how not to be afraid. And then they go, blah, 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 blah. Kitty, kitty. That was a beautiful reenactment. Yeah. And this is... and this word, is the... word for word, right? <laughs> word for word. And this is like, yeah, one of those B-plot elements of this that means that it isn't just let's get ready for the march constantly. I will say at this point, I thought this movie was fine. Um, I think that the performances were better than the movie as a whole and I think specifically the script because like the music element like we've talked about that like I may I really love that dramaturgically I really like the performance I thought it was like layered and charismatic and interesting and I just wanted to keep watching and dive in but I think that the which is sometimes the case with biopics of people who you want people to respect them or that there's like a it's part of a really big part of the history and legacy and you're trying to balance like someone's the truth of someone's life with what's happening. The plot of this movie was just I I struggled to call it a plot. It was kind of just like here is the same thing happening over and over again. Like he decides he wants to do a march. Someone says we don't like that idea. He says but that's no the idea is good. And then someone else says he doesn't like the idea. And then he says it's good. And it just like kept kind of going. And I was waiting for there to be some other shape to it something that felt a bit more dynamic something that was more interesting especially when we know there's not a single person who doesn't know how this story ends like even if you don't know him you know the march happened especially if you're someone watching this movie do you know what i mean that so there's there's times at which we've had so pride for example is a movie which is around activism and that ends in this big like end pride celebration whatever but mm-hmm. but go back and is, listen to our episode it is it is an obscure enough piece of history that people would not know how it ends like they know that the miners stroke was not successful but that wasn't the only stake that we were like carrying through the movie and it was i wish there was some other stake that was actually related to his real life because the stakes that we get in the b plot are these two fictional character romances we kind of have the plot of his relationship with King, but that's like very easily solved. There's not really any like building tension. Like all of that 
personal growth that takes him from not wanting to speak to Martin Luther King to like being his friend again happens off screen when the two aren't really talking to each other. And I just sort of wish we had something else there where the stakes weren't relied on like, oh no, will they pull off the famous march that definitely happened that we all know about? I say probably would be weird if it turned out plot twist. We all hallucinated that as a part of history. But that's just my hot take. Rowan, why did you have to ruin this movie (laughs) for me? I'm sorry, ignore everything I said. I strike it from the record, Jazza. You continue to like it. For me, the the writing, the the musical elements of this, and the performances especially, and it is so correct that Coleman Domingo got a best actor. One hundred percent for this. One hundred percent. And he should beat Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but that is what should happen. That would be real justice. I don't have anything I can say to defend the elements <laughs> that you could Just because I'm looking like we as we go through movies, we essentially like go through different plot points. But I'm looking down at my notes and I'm like Okay, so we have, he tries to talk to this person, they're not interested. He tries to talk to this person, they're not interested. Like, it's kind of this over and over again. And then, like, the, the, there's kind of an attempt at, like, okay, and now the, t- the clock is ticking because we know it's two months to organize the march. Ah, and then it just keeps going. So, but some stuff that, like, appears within this that I thought was interesting. For example, there's a moment of explosive tension between him and the people who are working at this, like, anti-war office organization that he's part of, where it becomes very clear that when they're looking at footage of the Birmingham march that King helped organize, and there is this violent reaction from the authorities towards it, that they mm-hmm. are sort of almost blaming Dr. King for sending the children off yeah, to Yeah, the march. guy says, shame on King. Yeah, and, um, and Bayard uh, goes which... off about that, which rightly so. And this idea of... Um, and quits his job. Yeah, and quits So that he job. can do organizing the march yeah. full time. And it, and, but the attitude of this person who is in activism, is in a different part of activism, in this anti-war activism, is like, we have to let go of what makes us different to come together for a humane world. And it's basically a, like, I don't see colour sort of energy because there is I think a lesson that's really important to be to be learned around solidarity but solidarity doesn't mean we ignore our differences solidarity means we support people in the differences and we prioritize justice and we figure out the connections and that was really interesting and he talks about the idea of like I cannot surrender my difference and I wouldn't want to even if I could he would not want to not be a black gay man even if it was a possibility and that felt like a really important moment he also gets told by his boss you became a homosexual because your parents abandoned you which love it when he quits his job this is the beginning of my act two which is what you have greatly called um party pre-gaming and essentially well now that rowan's kind of like explained really well how this part of the plot happens (laughs) it's oh no nobody's backing this much now some people are backing this much oh no some people we don't have enough latrines so we need people to we need more toilets oh no we can't get people here let's get some buses let's go and talk at a load of rich white people's houses to get some money Mm -hmm. let's do a benefit concert Mm. i'd have liked to have seen more of that to be honest that could have been quite fun we just kind of have like a 20 second shot of like the set list little stevie wonder (laughs) and a nice little set list but in order for this to happen he has gone to king reconciled stuff with king he does a little this little lad man conga with the kids and then who 
walking in on your children, singing Little Light of Mine, doing the conga, who can then be like, I still don't like you. Like, obviously, they're going to make up. So they 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 don't kiss. But they do make but up. But they do make up. But yeah, so essentially, we then have the classic, in the beginning, Dr. King abandoned me in my hour of need. But now he's saying he's uh, endorsing the march and everything's great. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with Cleve Robinson in this. He was a Jamaican American activist who was a real person who says, "Go suck your mother." Amazing, as, amazing. As an incredible again, Jamaican the performances and the script. Ten out of yeah. ten. And we get just repeat a lot of these thematic elements of like respectability politics of who is in support, who isn't. But we also get a ramping up of slight tension in that Rustin starts getting these anonymous calls with heavy breathing on the line, implications of threats, going for a walk at night and seeing men sort of coming out of an alleyway in front of him. And deciding to like run away and leave. And it's that thing of, well, if you were to talk about either of these things just in isolation to someone who didn't really understand, it would be like, oh, someone had a wrong number. Or, mm-hmm. oh, it's just some guy out for a walk. Well, I read that scene the first time I saw it as like, oh, he's hooking up. And then the danger in his eyes, I guess. It is that idea yeah. of like, actually, there is a lot of danger here, and especially danger in the uncertainty. And especially because mm-hmm. we know that like the FBI could be tapping his phone. There's a lot of investigations around him, in particularly regards to his communist backstory, as it were, and also his queerness. And then we also get the idea of like, JFK has done this apparent uh, speech and endorsement of the idea of equality but the, the like the personal power ego element of some of these people who even if they are doing things outwardly which are supportive are doing it for their own gain in some way so the idea of like hey if you do this march I literally just said I was gonna do good stuff for you people why are you doing this march it makes me look bad like this is such an interesting yeah. part of that politics and then within the march also like it's raised that there aren't any women booked mm-hmm. to talk and then at some point they are going to be just given a little mm-hmm. nod by somebody they can write their own bios Congressman Powell, actually, who's like, well, the raising of the problem of like women not speaking has literally just been raised. And then he's like, well, I haven't seen me <laughs> on the uh, thing and just triggered me to when I worked in like civil activism mm-hmm. and every all of them think they're the most important person in the room and um i hated it i hated it this whole section as well is very interesting to me as someone who's done a lot of looking at how activism is portrayed on screen there is a lot of stuff that's very very accurate the idea of like the minutiae that need to get planned that like the difference between a successful and an unsuccessful rally can literally be do you have toilets like that can mm-hmm. that can change the mood of a crowd. Are people that going can... to be able to be hydrated? 100%. Hydrated. What's the sound system like? Absolutely. Like, literally. And yeah. also this idea of push and pull that he they start talking about it has to be one day, not two days, for various reasons. Not he just... tries to meet with Parks and Rec and Amy Polner doesn't turn she up. Doesn't turn up. You know, not just the idea of needing it to be one day because people are trying to aren't that big of a fan of the march and want to make it smaller, but also just for the practicalities of, you know you've got someone who is trying to rally together the churches and a lot of those people are not used to the idea of activism or sleeping rough like it's much more comfortable for them to get bust in do this march and then get bust out again the same day um and so actually it's like okay do we compromise on our original vision in order to get the numbers that like technicality that teamwork i think is really interesting and then we also have again we we check back in with elias who at this point has his father-in-law has essentially stepped down and he is come up as a pastor and we have these interesting cut scenes between elias preaching and biden elias 
being gay essentially and also the raiding of a gay bar with the press taking photos yeah yeah the, the police have called the press to be like we want essentially to be outing these people in the press publicly and this is all kind of again rising the tensions i guess in a way or attempting to for reasons uh, i have expressed earlier didn't necessarily work entirely on me but <laughs> yes. we also see the uh, working with the enemy element of successful activism in terms of the type that that Rustin is doing so looking to black police officers who are going through training of how to deal with protesters in order to keep march peaceful in order to not immediately go in with violent force they are to wear white armbands and not have guns and to create an atmosphere of peace and that is something that i think is such an interesting element of mm -hmm. exploring this period in history and these type of protests that we don't necessarily often see the most obvious sort of example i think is the rosa parks like mythology around her where it's like okay she was just some cute little old lady who just decided one day to sit on a bus and she did activism as opposed to being a planned event, like a planned part of protest in which she was chosen specifically as someone great branding who was acceptable to white audiences. Like all of this stuff is behind the scenes. And I like when movies about activism sort of take that seriously. We see at this point kind of like everything... Every now and again, there is a moment where somebody says, hey, did you know that Rustin's gay? And then we see kind of like some of the fallouts and the consequences of that. The Senator Powell, is he a senator or a congressman? Powell <laughs> tries to bring this up to getting kicked off of like the organizing committee, but it doesn't work. And before we go into the actual march itself, there's a, a lot of these stakes of, is he actually going to be kicked off? And then we have the resolution of everybody coming out and support of Rustin. There's a newspaper article that's written about him that calls him courageous and we see King especially given the opportunity to back his friend this time chooses to back his friend. So I guess that that is the resolution That's that we've cute. been waiting for. There you go. Yeah, there you go, bro. There's some resolution for you. Thank you so much. Are we now at the party and it's after We're nearly um because just before the party Elias's wife calls up and goes back off Rustin when Rustin's in bed and he goes, oh, okay. So broken up with Elias. Elias calls him a communist and a pervert. Everybody feels bad. Now it is the party in its aftermath, or as I've called it, the open brackets, political close brackets party and its aftermath. Do you get it? Yeah, I do. I got it. Good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Which is obviously the march itself. Again, there's... I've I kind of put this idea of like they start the march people are saying you said there was gonna be 100,000 people here there's only 75 people here and he starts uh, being like and it's like it's 7 a.m. yeah like everyone's calm down in, calm down again you sort of know it's not gonna be only 75 people because you know that this is uh, the largest political march yeah. they've put the out US the chairs and they put out the chairs so people have to come and then the buses start coming in and then there's a big old march and the march happens and it's great and you've got um, everyone coming together and having a jolly good time. And I honestly didn't make many notes about this section because I was like, that's the March on Washington. That's it happening. Oh, this is what I have. I have March, real footage of people arriving. So they actually, and I wish that there was a little bit more 
of this, of kind of like real historical footage. Obviously, we see that like the JFK speeches and some of like those historical things are all real footage. But this is the first time that it kind of like really was interwoven with the modern stuff, which I really, really liked. The NAACP get invited to the White House and then Rustin picks up trash. That is all I have. Yeah, they basically, yeah, the the organizers get invited, but Russ and they are like, Rustin, you should also come. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to stay here with everyone picking up trash. Which I really like. It's image of like, he actually is doing the work. Like he's the guy who is going to get shit done. And that the people who get shit done like him, which we love to see. And then we have a classic documentary ending or biopic ending of here are some sentences. (laughs) Here are some sentences at the end that explain what what happened after this so it's mm-hmm. like quarter million people attended nine months later the civil rights act passes rustin falls in love in 1977 to walton eagle doesn't do the bit where he has to adopt him but the, fair enough i feel like that would be quite a plot twist to end on without any context yeah that opens up another <laughs> door that we don't have time clap, for clap clap end of the movie i have one question yes. before we dive into our ratings do you think that there should have been more attention to the fact that it's at this march where that i have a dream speech happens that is the thing that i think people would i don't know i i I feel it was ambiguously not paid very much attention to and i thought it was weird what do you think i think this is the same energy that they were bringing from the beginning where king is just a side character a person it's not like a this is a story of the side character dr martin luther king's dream or like his life Mm -hmm. or his legacy it's like this is someone who in his own right was an icon and was a had had an without which this would never have happened so i don't necessarily think it's weird to me i feel like maybe that would have been a little bit like too much too hammy to have been like and then it all ended with the thing that really made a difference this speech yeah but that maybe it's just maybe just just me yeah i don't know i I just thought it was ambiguous in its like absence Mm. but i think you're right at all how would you rate this movie so for anybody who does not know we have a patented we really should patent this at some this point. is about the podcast where we give the movies ratings rather than rating it out of five or out of ten as normal we rate it out of six so we say how many stripes of the rainbow flag that it deserves but then also which of those specific stripes particularly because each of those colors of this of the stripes of the flag means something different so red is life orange is healing yellow is sun or sunlight Green is nature, blue is harmony, and purple is spirit. Jazza, how many bars are you going to give it? I want to give it four. Which colours? There are elements of this movie that I think are amazing. Performances, script, music, musicality. And now you've ruined the story part of it, so I can only... (laughs) I'm going to give it purple for spirit. I'm going to give it red for life and because mm-hmm. there's some some kissy kissy happening here mm-hmm. um because it's a little bit sexy and then healing as well because I felt healed by it oh. I guess so red orange purple Cute. how about you I'm going to give it 3 cuz you're a hater I'm a hater no I've, I mm. I feel like there were lots of things to like about it and it's one of those films that almost talking about it makes me like it more cuz like it's like the cerebral elements of it but I also was yeah very aware of the <laughs> plot I was like this the movie bit of the movie was lacking for me. <laughs> the characters like, like I love the but... cerebral elements of no, it, no, no, but the movie no, was. Listen, if you're going to co-host a movie podcast, 
you got to be at least a bit of a wanker. So I think I'm going to give it healing because I do think there was some interesting stuff around his relationship with with King and that sort of the healing element of that was cute. Sunlight, just because I feel like the imagery of the blue sky over Washington Mall is like so iconic within those scenes of the march and in regards to it, like mm-hmm. I felt like that was really lovely. And then harmony again, because I feel like that coming together of various people from across the political spectrum and different causes to march was, you know, harmonious. So yeah, I'm doing I'm doing three. I realise I also I only gave three. My fourth would be blue harmony. So mine would okay, be red, orange, blue, purple, because I do need to give it more than you. Okay. Well that was the movie. Thank you for listening to a couple of people who are apparently a little bit of a wanker. If you enjoy these episodes, we ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. We're now an indie podcast. Mm-hmm. Please support us on Patreon. Please support us on Patreon. As a patron, you join our queer movie club where we do watch alongs in our Discord each month and that is just the bare minimum at higher levels. You can also get our movie recommendations and our monthly news- newsletter with the curation of all the gay shit that we find on the internet. Once again, thank you to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us at the highest tier on Patreon. You are our rainbow parents, specifically, and along with the rest of our supporters, very much are the thing that is keeping this podcast going. So thank you especially. Make sure you follow and subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice so that you are notified of our next episode. We have been Jess and Sean, and that one over there, that's Rowan Ellis. That's me. Thank you very much, my Dolans. Thank you. Bye. Toodaloo.